Welcome to the Believe and Follow podcast. I'm your host, James Rattazzi. The title of this week's episode, Your Kingdom Come, is taken from Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray to the Father. The dictionary definition of the word kingdom talks first about the word being used to denote a politically organized community or major territorial unit having a monarchical form of government, headed by a king or queen. But the word can also be used in a figurative sense to indicate an area or sphere in which one holds a preeminent position. Jesus often spoke of the kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven, slightly different terms for the same thing. Was Jesus talking about a physical kingdom or a spiritual kingdom? I was thinking of doing a podcast on the statement when Jesus is teaching them to pray and the one in Matthew, so Matthew chapter 6 verse 10, where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever heard anybody teach that we can't pray that now? We can't pray your kingdom come. Yeah, I've heard people preach that. And the people who preach that are thinking it in terms of the kingdom of heaven came in at a certain time. And when he was teaching them, it was before the kingdom of heaven came in. And now it's after. You know, they teach the day of Pe- the, the kingdom of heaven came in on the day of Pentecost. I don't think that view is exactly correct. So let me ask you a question first, and then I'll make my observation. When he says, your kingdom come, what does that mean? Your reign come. Right. I mean, I think that means when all this ugly messiness is done, in my mind. um, Ah, yeah, some people think that, right. The kingdom age is when this is all over. Think so because it says on earth as it is in heaven. Right. You know, so you know, heaven obviously. Well, I can't say obviously because Satan has gone into God's presence before. It seems like right, like a joke. But but I would I would think as a general rule at least there isn't any sin in heaven. Actually, I take it a little different. But what you're stating is a common view. I think you're right in looking at the rest of the verse to define what your kingdom come means. So your kingdom come is when your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. 
I agree with you on that. But think of it this way. Because there are multiple instances where this kind of statement is made. Read Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Remember when Pilate's questioning Jesus and he says, My kingdom is not of this world. So the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom. And we already learned that spirituality is connected with the mind. Exactly. So when he says, they're not going to say, look here or there it is or look there. So it's not going to be in a physical place. And if we understand quantum physics, if it doesn't occupy a place, it also doesn't occupy a time. So it's not in a place or time, so you can't necessarily say the kingdom of heaven is a certain time. But then he makes almost a contradictory statement in which he says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. There's another one where he says, when all these miracles are happening, the kingdom of God is among you in your midst. Well, who is among them and who is in their midst doing miracles? Jesus. And what was Jesus doing? He was doing exactly what God taught him to do. He was doing what God told him. Isn't that the kingdom of heaven? God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven? If there's somebody doing God's will, and God is testifying to it by these miracles, then the kingdom of heaven is among you. If there's someone among you that's doing God's will and only God's will, then that's the kingdom of heaven. Many, many people who try to put the kingdom of heaven in a place of time will say that the kingdom of heaven is already here. And I agree that it is already here. When he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about, like some people think, like you concluded, which is not a bad conclusion. Well, the kingdom of heaven is when everything is on earth is like it is in heaven. Well, that certainly isn't now. It's not everybody's doing God's will. But that's not really what he's saying. All he's saying is that your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Doesn't mean that everybody's doing it, but somebody's doing it, and that's where the kingdom of heaven, or that is the kingdom of heaven. So what he was saying before, and this was before he was even sacrificed, is he was saying, the kingdom of heaven is here right now. Well, how could he say the kingdom of heaven is here right now? Because Jesus was there. And Jesus was doing exactly what the will of the Father is. So that is what defines the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 6.10. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom. But the kingdom doesn't have to occupy the entire earth. But as long as it's happening somewhere, the kingdom of heaven exists. Does that make sense to you? I can see that, yeah. Um, that's the general gist of my Your Kingdom Come podcast is going to be discussing that issue because some people believe that, well, the kingdom error or the kingdom time will be ushered in after Jesus returns. And I think not because after Jesus returns, the earth will cease to exist. So there won't be any God's will being done on earth because the earth won't be... Say again? The new earth. Well, the new heavens and the new earth, but... 
it won't be anything like this heavens and earth. But when he says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he doesn't say on the new earth as it is in heaven. He says on earth. And you could see in the ones where he says the kingdom of heaven is in your midst, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven is here because I'm here. I'm being Jesus, right? I'm here doing God's will. I'm doing God's will just like I did when I was in heaven. Here I am doing God's will. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst. So look at Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning the kingdom of heaven is near. So if back then he's saying the kingdom of heaven is near, he's not saying the kingdom of heaven is not going to come until I return. But here also, that same idea, you know, they're saying Jesus will return soon. So soon to him is totally different than, you know, just like near might be different. Right. What he would think. Exactly. Exactly. Because time is irrelevant to God. Good point. But he's saying things like the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. In your midst does not carry the same meaning of not coming until I return. See, we have to define the kingdom of heaven a little differently. He specifically says it's not in a specific place, and I also think it's not in a specific time. I think we could have the reign of heaven in our lives individually, but not have the reign of heaven yet having covered the entire earth. I think those are similar, but... But here's a question. What verses do you have to say that God's reign is going to cover the entire earth? He says the gospel will be preached throughout the whole world, and then the end will come. But he says even up to the end, there's going to be a good amount of people who aren't obeying. So there's never a moment in earth history that has everybody on the earth doing God's will. What's going to happen is things are going to go from bad to worse. And then Jesus is going to come, and then everything's going to be destroyed. And then something new is going to take its place. That would definitely be... And that's true. And where we're going to be is where God's will is being done by everyone. That's also true. But there's also a sense that the kingdom of heaven is here and now. Just like it was here and now when Jesus was talking. So you're in the kingdom of heaven. If Jesus was in the kingdom of heaven because he was doing exactly God's will. And he was in the kingdom of heaven just as much then as he will be after he returns. Because the kingdom of heaven isn't a place in time. And that should be our prayer. Remember, I introduced this where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray in this period, this period before he returns. And he tells them to pray for God's kingdom come. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here's a question. This is just like the unity question. What can I do to see that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven? Can I do anything about the barista doing God's will? I can do more about me doing God's will, right, than I can about the barista. Yeah, but you can spread... 
God's love. Yeah, 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 exactly. I can teach. I can be a good example. I can do all those things. But I tell you what I need to do before I take it upon myself to go teach and to be a good example and do all the things. I have to be a good example before I can be a good example. So what do I have to do? I have to be doing God's will myself. So step one in carrying out this prayer that Jesus mentions in Matthew 6 your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is I, like Jesus say, I'm only going to do what the Father has told me. Then, in my life, and of course it's not going to be an instantaneous thing, just because I say I want to do it does not mean I'm going to (laughs) have perfected doing it, but at least I'm on the way to the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? And I think that's more helpful to us to look at the kingdom of heaven like that than to look at it like it's something that's going to happen in the future. It's something that's here and now, and we can be in it like Jesus was in it if we, like Jesus, make the decision to only do God's will. Sorry, say that part again, sir. Say again? Yeah, say that part again. It's more useful for us to think about how can we be in the kingdom of heaven here and now? Well, we can be in the kingdom of heaven here and now like Jesus was in the kingdom of heaven when he was walking around in the flesh. If we do like Jesus and doing like Jesus meaning that we make a decision to do God's will. And if we're actually doing God's will, and only God's will, we're in the kingdom of heaven. I think that's correct, um, technically. I think that helps us in this day and age, but... You have a but. I feel a but coming. Well, I mean, I, I still think that there's this difference between individual the kingdom of heaven having come individually to us you know the reign of God being in each one of us individually and then the reign of God being the only thing that there is for all of us you know to experience because obviously we still fail all the time we still have other things that push on us all the time that you know that that mess up our walk mess up our actions and thoughts or that pressure us and I don't think even the best of us you know I don't think are fully under that that happening of every single thing that we do is yeah I completely agree with that God's reign is exactly what God would want from us and so while while I agree with you I think that's a good idea to to see it as we're individually walking more in line with that you know that reign of God idea with but I, I don't think that right now, even if we get really, really close to it, I don't think we're under it yet. Well, but that isn't that what Jesus is all about? Jesus, Jesus is all about God looking at us. 100% better than any of us. But here's the thing, though. Jesus is how we can get into the kingdom. Remember Genesis 15, verse 6. 
pivotal verse in the Bible. You know what Genesis 15, verse 6 is? That's a good one to memorize. Abraham believed God and as righteousness. What does that mean? This is the thing that puts us in a better position with God than we deserve to be. That's God's grace. David was a man after God's own heart, but David did all sorts of horrible things. Abraham did horrible things. Abraham did all sorts of horrible things. And your words are very well taken. None of us even remotely approaches the way Jesus behaved. And we all make mistakes all the time. But because of Jesus, if we believe, if we believe like Abraham believed, then God will look at us as if we were righteous. Will put us in the kingdom of heaven, even though we don't deserve to be there. That's grace. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus is up at the right hand of God, and if we're doing God's will, we're right there with him. But if we're availing ourselves of God's grace and believing in God, then we're right there with him. This is an important thing, because I think your thinking has also a shade of Calvinism to it. The important thing is not what we do. What God's looking for is us to believe. Now, he's looking for us to believe and follow. The following is what he always adds to the believing part. But the main thing he's looking for us to do is to believe. Believe his promise, and because we believe his promise, we follow his instruction. But then there's this mechanism that was put in place by Jesus' sacrifice for us, that if we believe... God will credit it to us as righteousness. In which case, he will be looking at us as if we were more like Jesus than we really are. Does that make sense to you? I don't know if I can say it's just believing. Well, it isn't just believing. It's never just believing. It's believing and following. But the important thing that God is looking for is faith. Now, faith is an active faith. And I do agree with you that you have to have those two elements. You have to have the believing and the following. What God's looking for is us to believe. But God has always structured the relationship with us that if we believe, we're going to follow his instruction. And the reason why he's doing that is because he wants every single one of us who's a follower to be an example to everybody else. Well, how can we be an example if he doesn't give us something to do? And if I'm just sitting here quietly doing nothing and saying, yeah, I believe, I'm cool, that doesn't help anybody. But if he gives me an instruction to do that may be a little bit troublesome to carry out, like love everybody, <laughs> things like that, then people will see, and Jesus even says that, they'll know that you're my disciples because you love one another. Look at how much they love one another. Yeah, I agree. Those two parts go hand in hand. But the point is, we don't have to be as good as Jesus for God to look at us as if we were as good as Jesus. Is if we're in his kingdom, if we're following him, then we're getting the benefits as if we had lived a righteous life. Just like Abraham was able to, just like David was able to, and we know that those guys have done worse things than you and I, I'm assuming, than you and I have ever done. I don't know what you do when you walk out of here. Okay, some issues were raised in this initial discussion. 
Let's listen to the follow-up discussion and see if we can make some conclusions. Your kingdom come. Did you think any more about that after our discussion on Wednesday? <laughs> no. There are some people who say the kingdom hasn't come yet. There are people that are um, called millennialists that say that when it talks about, in Revelation, for example, it talks about Christ's reigning for a thousand years, that that has yet to come. That Christ's reign has yet to come. And there are different flavors of millennialists. They don't all say the same thing. I won't necessarily go over all the flavors, but your basic millennialist would say, if I say, kingdom of heaven now or in the future, would answer, in the future would not say now. There's a sense, and we looked at those verses. So Luke 11, 19, he says, And if I cast out demons by Beel... No, no, it's not 19. Uh, it's 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So there's a sense that the kingdom of God is already here, and a sense that there's something in the future also. So if someone said to me, Kingdom of God, now or in the future? I would say yes to both. <laughs> yeah, I have the same thing. There's a great verse that I would use, to, a great section I would use to do that would be in Hebrews chapter 2. Now remember in, you know how Hebrews chapter 1 begins in the past God spoke in various ways, but in these last days he's speaks to us through his son, and then he goes into this bit about how Jesus is better than the angels. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, I just like this section, even though it's not important to our discussion. But he says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So he's obviously talking about the present age that they were in, right? First of all, God attested to Jesus' message by signs and wonders, and then was attesting to the Apostles' message by various signs and wonders. In verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, now he, he does a quote from the Old Testament, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? So that's an interesting thing. It seems like he's just speaking of mankind in general. But then he goes on to speak specifically, You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Who's that talking about? Sounds like Jesus. Jesus, exactly, because he was made for a little while lower than the angels, but then you know, after his tasting of death, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, so if everything's in subjection to him, what does it make him? 
the ruler, right? He's the king. So he has been made king. So when he's ascended to God's right hand, even though some people might say, well, but he was still king earlier, at least in a sense, at that point, after he became a sacrifice, tasted of death, he was raised from the dead, and then he's ascended into heaven, now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's at the moment when you're absolutely certain he's king. And once again, it's a good idea not to view the kingdom of heaven as being in any time and space because it's a spiritual kingdom. But let's continue. But we see him, verse 9, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, so that tells us that you answered the question correctly, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Where's the verse that I was looking for? Did I skip it? Yes. Verse 8. At the end of verse 8 it says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, I did skip it, he left nothing outside his control. But look at this. So everything's in subjection to Jesus. Remember what he said to his... Um, uh, his, his apostles after he was resurrected he said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples that's Matthew 28 18 and 19 at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him see that's interesting because there will come a time when Everyone will see that everything is in subjection to Jesus. Remember what it says in Philippians 2? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bend and every tongue confess. Today, every knee is not bending and every tongue is not confessing. Mm -hmm. But there will be a time when every knee does bend and every tongue does confess. And when is that time? At the end of the Right, when he comes back. Exactly. When he comes back, there will be no doubt in anybody's mind who the king is. But we also see that he's already been made king, and so his kingdom has already begun. So the period that Revelation talks about as being the thousand-year reign of Christ, that started on the day of Pentecost and will end when he returns. And of course, we know that Revelation is full of visions and figures and symbolic speech, so it does not mean that it's a thousand years. There are many places in the Bible where someone's comparing a long period of time to a short period of time. No one will disagree that a thousand years is a long period of time, so it's going to be a long period of time. The millennialists will also use that verse where Peter says, to God a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. <coughs> They'll use that as if it's stating some kind of equation, but it's not stating an equation. It's just saying time is irrelevant to God, either a very short period of time, which is a day, or a thousand years. Like if I owe you $200 and I say I'll pay you back in a day, you're like, okay, that's not too long to wait. That's a short period of time. But if I owe you $200 and I say I'll pay you back in a thousand years, how are you going to take that? Lots of interest. <laughs> That's true. Questions, comments, thoughts, or concerns? Any, is, is this all making sense to you? 
I don't have any problem with it so far. Okay. Um, I don't really know enough about Revelation and that whole. You know, honestly, I don't think anybody does. But, but you know, to to say one way or the other, you know. Right. But it's it seems to make sense. You know, there are lots of instances that say that Jesus is now. Uh, you know, reigning over the earth. Uh, right. Like, like one of the chain references here was to First Corinthians fifteen twenty-five. Right. Uh, but that whole that whole section talks about how. Um, right. He's talking about the resurrection in First Corinthians yeah, fifteen. Yeah. Uh, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Uh, right. Yeah. It seems to say that he's reigning, but there is going to become, there is going to come a time when he has finished destroying all of his enemies and it says like the last enemy will be death and then he'll turn over the kingdom to the father right so i mean that the, again yeah. i think that points to both you know there is there is a reign right now but then there's another reign something's going to happen and there's going to be a big change yeah. and the only reason why that something has to be spoken of in real time is because all the people who are going to be saved haven't been saved yet he comes back when all the people who God knows are going to be saved have been saved. So that hasn't happened yet. People are still being born. People are still learning, etc., etc., etc. And also, there are other things. Like, we can make a list of things. Well, what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? When he comes back, he's going to turn the kingdom over to the Father. Also, when he comes back, what's he going to do? There's going to be judgment. He's going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. That's one of the big things that Jesus talks about. It wasn't talked about much in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, Jesus makes a big deal that when he comes back, he's going to... And many of his parables are about when he's going to come back. He talks about a lord that's gone away and comes back, or a king that's gone on a trip and comes back, what's going to happen. He's talking about himself and the idea of when he comes back, there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a judgment. So you may think, well, he's not here, and we can do whatever we want, and you can, but then there will be consequences to pay when he comes back. Mm -hmm. And there are two major categories of parables that Jesus told, and one of them is that. One category of parables is about someone is coming back and there's going to be a reckoning. The other major category of parables starts off with the kingdom of heaven is like. Kingdom of heaven is like leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great value, right? And all of those parables, first of all, speak of the kingdom of heaven as if it's already in existence. And all of those parables are trying to get you to see that the kingdom of heaven is not in a physical place and time, that it is a spiritual kingdom. Like Jesus says, you're not going to be able to look and say, look, there it is. I was reading a commentary that somebody wrote on the internet. And it says, and you know when Jesus is before Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Right, so it's an alien planet. It's an alien planet, right, exactly. But when he says that, that's in John 18, 36, for example. Some people will say, well, his kingdom is not of this world yet. Someone who would add the yet to that is one of those people who's thinking that there's going to be a physical world where he's going to reign. That's where his kingdom is going to be. No, his kingdom is not of this world, period. It was one of the things we know that when Jesus returns, this world is going to be destroyed. 
I was also thinking about the verse that you connected this to, which is the new heavens and the new earth. Mm -hmm. I didn't write down where that was. I think it's in Revelation 21, right? Uh, I see three places. Maybe just two. But uh, 2 Peter 3 and then Revelation 21. Let's read the one in 2 Peter 3. What's, what's the verse? I just want to look at that. 2 Peter 3.13. Earlier in this chapter is a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day thing. And he says, where is this coming that you guys are talking about? Ever since the beginning, things are going the way they have. And then he says, they forget, first of all, that God has said he, when he comes back, he's going to destroy the world by fire. And the day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years day. But he also says that you're going to be surprised. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. <laughs> so the people who think they're going to predict when Jesus is coming back, no, you're not going to be able to do that. Along the lines of Christian witches. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness, godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? And how would we hasten the coming of the day of God? If we could simultaneously get everyone in the world to understand about God, you know, hear God and then accept or decline all at once. And if we are certain that no one else is going to be born that needs to have that told to them. But you're on the right track, exactly. He's coming when everyone's been saved. But according to his promise, verse 13, now we're getting to the verse that you mentioned. We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Certainly in the ones in Revelation, you have to remember that Revelation is symbolic talk and images, so we don't think there's actually going to be four horsemen. Probably not. I but, realize a lot of Revelation is yeah. solid. Because the symbol of horsemen in that day meant power. Today doesn't necessarily mean power. We say, here comes a horseman. We're not thinking, oh well, this is a powerful person. <laughs> We're thinking, hey, all I got to do is take my assault rifle and shower him with bullets, and that's the end of the horseman. Well, they didn't have assault rifles then, and if a horseman was coming at you, that was a problem. So we should call it the four tanks. Yeah, it could be the four tanks of the apocalypse, yeah, the four, uh, the four fighter planes of the <laughs> apocalypse, whatever it is. But the visions meant something to them then, so you have to see what was being communicated to them. The same thing about a new heavens and a new earth. Remember, Revelation was meant to comfort the believers at that time, about things that will shortly come to pass. So most of the things in Revelation have already come to pass. Mm -hmm. But there is this future thing, just like the kingdom is already here, but there's a future manifestation of the kingdom that we've yet to experience. I think most of the latter parts of Revelation is purely visions and symbolic. But you're right, though, there are some things in it that are actually going to happen that actually did happen and actually going to happen. And the thing that you said earlier is most likely correct. We're never going to say, oh yeah, I got this 100% now. I don't think any of us are ever going to say that. Even if the people at that time could understand it, how they took some of this stuff may be lost on us. Let's say, though, we say, well, what does it mean when he says a new heaven and a new earth? Well. What they're trying to do is comfort the people, just like Peter is here also, right? He's saying, everything's going to be destroyed. Wait a minute now. We're going to continue to exist. How are we going to exist after everything is destroyed? Well, there's a new heaven that we're going to exist in. 
don't necessarily equate new heaven and new earth as, and some people will say that, and that's when the kingdom of heaven comes in, right, or the kingdom of God comes in. Don't mash those two together, because I don't think it's right to mash those two together. And I think that's the mistake. Could the millennialists, no, I, no, I think not. But we'll not, even, not even that second kingdom, you know, when everything else, when everything, all sin, all, you know, death, all things that are wrong have been dealt with, have been done away with. There's going to be something different about the kingdom in the future. Right now, the kingdom no, is no existing. No death. Right, exactly. That is a huge difference. But the kingdom is still here. It's just there's going to be a change. But it's almost like we're arguing semantics there. We don't know. We're not given the information. Whether the knee-jerk representation in my brain is more correct than yours or less correct than yours, when we actually get there, we're both going to be like, ah, so that's how it is. <laughs> and we're going to be fine with it. Right, we're going to be like... Hey, we were like monkeys trying to figure out calculus. As long as we continue on our current path. Right, as long as we make the cut. And that's the thing, and that's like a huge main theme of Jesus. That there's going to be this reckoning, there's going to be this judgment, and you have to make sure you're on the right side of it. And Jesus says that, most people aren't going to be. So which do you want to be? That's not only a New Testament thought that Jesus says, but that's also an Old Testament thought, right? I mean, yeah, that's what I was actually looking up, but just finish Second Chronicles, but one of them, I want to say maybe like Josiah or something like that, has, has very, maybe it's Hezekiah, you know, a very blunt way of, of God saying basically that idea. Uh, that he, he said it. He said it multiple times to multiple right. people. But but the one that I just finished with just came to mind. So, Can you? but it's something along the lines of you know if you follow my commandments and seek me, you know your whole life, then you know I'll continue to bless you. you know, that that same that sort of, but it's the same same idea in the New Testament of you know. It's, it's not just a one-time thing. And, it, and, it, and it, sorry, this, this particular one was sad because he started off his life doing that. But then at the end of his life, he turned away. And it's just like, right. it's exactly what God said. You know, as long as he followed him, as long as he kept his commandments, then God will be right, right, exactly. It's like God chooses a certain small little group of people, of all the people on the earth to be like his chosen people. Well, what's he saying? Well, I'm choosing, and the choice is not going to be the majority. But even amongst those people that he chooses, the 12 tribes, 10 go off into total apostasy while two stay. And then, of course, those, those go off also. But it's like, how hard is it to... Um, to enter the kingdom of heaven. If the righteous are scarcely saved, what becomes of the people who pay no attention to this business? Mm -hmm. uh, Peter says that. Not in those exact words, obviously. First Peter 4.18 And if the righteous, yeah, in the ESV, and if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So it's smart to be concerned about acquainting yourself with the Bible and figuring out how you're going to be pleasing to God and make that cut when Jesus returns. And the people who 
are not doing that are just not being very wise. There have been times when I have erroneously indicated that the kingdom began on the day of Pentecost. From this study it is now clear to me that is not correct. Since the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom, it does not exist in any particular place or time. I think now it would be more correct to say that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he was made king of a kingdom that already existed, a spiritual kingdom, an eternal kingdom. The most important event in human history is Jesus coming in the flesh. Anything that takes our attention off what Jesus accomplished on the cross does not help us. Jesus ascended into heaven and is already reigning as king, and he left instructions for his subjects. When he returns, he will judge how we carried out those instructions. It is also incorrect to say that when Jesus returns, he will usher in a new kingdom. Big changes will happen at that time, and those who have already secured their position in God's kingdom will rejoice, and those who are not prepared for Jesus' return will be weeping and gnashing their teeth. Another problem I have with the millennial view of some other future kingdom is it reduces the significance of Jesus' accomplishments at his first coming. The emphasis of the entire Bible is making sure we understand and focus on what Jesus accomplished when he came in the flesh. Because if we do not model our lives on the instructions he gave at that time, we cannot by any means enter the kingdom of heaven. Also, the gospel is all about what I need to be doing today. These unscriptural concepts tend to take our focus off today and so are not at all helpful. In next week's podcast, we will talk about God's grace. Let me know if you want to be part of that discussion. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or even if you have any helpful suggestions, please feel free to email me at james at believeandfollow.org. That's all for now. Goodbye, and God bless. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be Sweeter also than honey